0: Yes. He who has chosen the divine has been chosen by the divine. All right. Why don't we experience the vital? So, yes, yes, we we do experience the vital. We don't see the vital, we don't see the thought. I mean, occultist can see the thought. But we can, yes, we can in a certain sense uh, see the thought in that sense, in the subtle ether. So prana, we feel as the energy that moves us. So when we are restless, it is the prana that is restless. So everything, essentially prana is the feeder system, the energy. When our thought is full of excitement, then we know that the prana is in a certain state. When our thought, our inner being is in a quieter mode, then we know that the pranic flow, prana is the flow of the current, of the energy within us. So prana gives that feeling, that state, us. It is the nature of the fuel, it's the energy. So we won't see it but we will feel it just as we see thoughts in the subtle ether of the mind. Similarly, we can experience prana in terms of the type of energy that is moving us and it's a very good practice to see it and know it because uh, we must go towards a calmer, quieter, harmonious, smooth flow of the pranic current and we'll know it when there are days when we feel perfectly in harmony with everything. And there are days when we feel dislocated. So, with practice, we can exactly feel the same thing about prana as we can feel about thoughts. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's a very loaded question or rather presumptuous. So, visualization is not hallucination to start with. You know, it's about where do we… Um, how do we visualize? So, uh, purely from the neurology point of view because it has been addressed to a psychiatrist. So, uh, let me address as a psychiatrist. Now, normally we believe that, you know, there are neuronal activities as a result of which we have all these, uh, you know, images thrown up or we have this, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, voices or sounds and music and there have been a lot of studies with that. But what happens before that is consciousness slipping and triggering a set of neurons, which is another way of looking at the whole phenomenon. So essentially, fundamentally, the moment we visualize what we are really doing, there is a consciousness within that we want to, let's say, uh, that visual image that we are creating is representing for us the divine or a higher consciousness, whatever way we do it. So, this imagery actually is an, it comes from the word image, imagination. So, image, this capacity to form image, images is native to the mind. And Shurubindha says that in that sense, man is a kind of part creator. It is the same faculty of Maya, which is given to man. All the greater faculties are given to man in a little way. So, this capacity to form images are given to man. It is there in the human mind. But, why we want the image and the purpose that we want it to serve will determine its nature. So, supposing I want to, uh, I imagine that there is, uh, let's say, God, uh, Rama or Krishna or Christ or Sri and I imagine that he is around. But the motive inside is, uh, you know, uh, uh, oh, if I get him, I'll get power, I'll be regarded as a yogi. So, it is not the true thing which will come the set of neurons which will be triggered, the processes that will be triggered within the brain and the body will be of that order. That's why it's so important that even when we use the visual imagery, we must understand the motive behind it. The motive is very, very important, which is often missed out in because there are countless visual imageries and I don't want to go into that. Music is there, imagery is there, but the motive is hardly mentioned. So we, when we, and when we do it with a certain motive, then we can find after a while, we can become completely independent of the imagery. Imagery is a tool it's a tool that triggers for us a certain cascade of uh, uh, you know a descent of the higher consciousness or emergence from within but when we focus so that's why when shrivindu used the word aspiration why he is not given a visual imagery because this is the core the aspiration with which we call an image or we imagine that is how the working starts so aspiration is the core the image is secondary so mind follows the aspiration which is known within the heart of the seeker. And the mind simply starts throwing up images. It has this capacity, at least the human mind have, maybe animals also have, we don't know. Some people say that they dream in their own way. So, but in human beings, there is a capacity to form conscious images. But the motive behind is the important thing, because we can form any kind of images. There are people who indulge in all kinds of pleasures and they have images like that. So, forming images and visualization is a tendency of the human mind. It doesn't matter which neuronal center operates. But whether that center is under the grip of lower forces or the higher forces or a deeper aspiration, that is where we should focus upon. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. This word of caution is needed, yes. Okay, this is a very good question. How to bring in the psychic discernment? Now… It can only come if we grow into the psychic sense. It is known that as we come, grow deeper and deeper. Uh, and I have just spoken about the processes, so I am not going back to that. But as the psychic being emerges, it begins to source what needs to be done and what not, does not need to be done. It is not a mental law. The mind operates according to certain frameworks and it is needed for the mind. As long as we are in the mind, we need certain frames. Either we have a social, religious, ethical standard or we may have our own personal standards based on our own ideas and it's good to have it. But when the psychic being comes out, all those standards will have no meaning. That's why when people thought that the voice of the soul is the conscience within us, should have been to it, it's not conscience. conscience. Conscience is a mental construct. And we need it as long as this psychic has not come out. But the moment psychic comes out with a gentle nudge, a little sense of unease, it will show us that, not only show us that this its not about right and wrong, it will actually show us that if we choose this road, it takes us in that direction. If we choose that road, it will take us in another direction. And the psychic will show us and we have to, you know, listen to that. Uh, You know, that famous poem of, I think, uh, it's Frost who spoke about the road um, he took. So, there were two roads and he takes a road and he just doesn't know what what lies at the other road. So, it's like that. It shows us. Sometimes it will show us one which is going to abyss and you know, the states will change. Sometimes it will show us that that dip is needed for the whole re-emergence. Sometimes it will show us that we can take the narrower path or a wider path. Everything with the crystal clear intuition. So, focus should be purely on developing the psychic within or, you know, coming in contact with it. The rest is automatic. But till that happens, we have to use buddhi, vivek. The reflective, discerning intelligence, which is different from the psychic discernment, and uh, have a measure of balance of common sense so that we don't, uh, you know, commit excesses on the path. But psychic discernment is intuitive. One glance will show us what is true and what is false. It's often described as the swan, which can uh, separate milk from water. I mean, whether a swan does it or not, I don't know, but psyche can separate. It can show us which is the right movement and which is the wrong movement with reference to the divine. There may be something which the mind may say is the right movement or the vital can justify every movement. But the psychic will show us that it is not the right movement. And it will show us what is to be done when we are confronted with such a choice. It will It's in direct contact with the divine will. And when we start moving away from it, it will make us feel initially uneasy. Then we'll feel the wailing of the presence. Then we will start, you know, experiencing abnormal states. Because then we open ourselves to the land of the hostiles. And during that time, the only thing that helps and saves one is mother's name. Constantly calling the mother's name. Yes. This is the psychic intuition, we may use the word. Shurvindu uses the word intuition from the heart and he says something, it is better to err. He goes to that extent in the synthesis. It is better to err following the voice of the soul than to follow the pragmatic, you know, uh, human mind's uh, sayings. So, But ultimately, as I said, whatever it is, Sometimes it's very difficult all the time to discern that way. So one ultimately surrenders to her. So our big cushion is the divine love which stands in creation. That's how she put it. Divine love is the cushion behind everything. At the end of it, everything, there is the divine presence. Yes. Yes. So being engulfed in the uh, complexities of life, you see what happens is, if we look at Ourselves very closely throughout the day, we will see that we get several opportunities which are like windows opening into the infinite. And those are the moments we have to seize. So, say, let's say, as a doctor, I am saying that, you know, I have a patient and I have another patient. So, instead of rushing on to give me the next file, give me the next file, I can always pause for a moment and invoke her presence. Or when I am traveling, so instead of being on the, you know, chat box, I can just that time use it to, uh, you know, we all travel. So, what do we do during travel? Now, there are a whole lot of things we read which we need not read when we are occupied with this discovery. And we focus on this uh, something within. When we are speaking over the phone, we can always cut down a lot of time we can make available to us. When we are eating, we can eat in quietude rather chit-chatting and we can try to use that uh, moment to go within. Even when we are watching something, even a cinema, we can stay focused inside. So, there are a whole lot of, even in the entire complexity of life, what is important is what absorbs our interest. So, we we may be, you know, the surface life may be very absorbing. If we are tied to the desired self or ambition, then it absorbs us like a sponge or money Or some such thing. But the absorbing interest should be the divine. Now when we have that, then eating, drinking, meeting friends, going everywhere, we can stay in that poise within. So we have to shift the priority. Basically it's shifting the priority because the within and the without are all the time together. The psychic doesn't go to sleep when we are in the midst of complexity. It's ever waiting and watchful. It doesn't say, hello, it's too complex for me. It can actually handle it much better. So, we have to give it a chance, you know, as they say, uh, before we start a work, just think of mother, call her presence. When we end the work, we can always find few minutes, few minutes, give that little, little, little needle points of light and see what happens. One little lamp can light up, scatter much darkness. So, even people practice while actually doing the work, they start calling mother's name. So, a time comes when there is a separation of consciousness within. I was mentioning about it. So, there is a witness self. There is the outer being which is working and there is an inner self which is different, which is remembering her. So, it comes with practice. Essentially, it comes with practice. Yes. But the motive must shift. If life continues to, you know, if we remain absorbed with a kind of absorbing interest, then yes, obviously, it is futile or idle to… Yoga has to be not just a, a side dish or a, you know, preoccupation, but the main occupation. Yeah. Yes. So, you see, mind is like a monkey. It is needing an object. So, you know what monkeys do? They are constantly looking for something or the other. So, one of the elementary practices of meditation is give the mind an object. And that object can be an idea, it can be an image. And when we give the mind an object to focus upon and keep on training it, now you have to get back to this object. Now, who will train? What is greater than the mind? A deeper self, this aspiration. Now, when we start training it, sit and focus on, let us say, an idea, idea of the divine, idea of truth, idea of love, then slowly the mind begins to enjoy that object that's one second is ordinarily the human mind rushes through the gates of the senses into the objects of the world which engage the senses so it's, it's you know the image of the Gita where the driver is not driving the car but the horses are driving the car and the Uh, poor fellow is just sitting and letting off the ropes. So the mind has to be disciplined and trained. It has to be taught that, look, you know, every knock of sense I need not respond to. And nowadays, modern technology can teach us a lot. Now people say, how come it actually binds us? But it can train us in the other way. One of the elementary training is, don't respond to every WhatsApp all the time. Give yourself a time and say that, okay, this is the only time I will... Touch my WhatsApp. This is the only time I'll keep for me responding. So this self-disciplining of the mind is very important. And if, uh, of course, a lot of restlessness comes purely from the desired self. If the feeder energy is desired, the mind is all the time rushing here and there. So again, uh, at least moderating the desired self, placing a higher goal. So these are well-known methods. And, of course, one can call the peace and the silence from above. There are zones like that. And simply by calling peace, 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 like a mantra, even silence, 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 peace, peace, peace. Initially, it will be difficult. But after a while, peace will become familiar. We just have to say, hey, peace, please come down. I need you and he'll come. So... (laughs) That's why in all the ancient Indian uh, uh, way of life, you had the peace invocations. You know, the Upanishads contain a set of peace invocations. And they're very beautiful because they remind us, you know, the the Purnamadang, Purnat, Purnamudrachate, Saino, Bhunattu, Sahviriam, Karvavahi. So they're a reminder and then it, they're all peace invocations because that vastness brings peace. When we remind ourselves that we are not doing it only for my own sake, But the whole creation is with me in this little food that I have, you know, in front of me. So desired self makes us small and narrow and that makes us restless because there is a tendency for everything to expand. But vastness, the sense of oneness, the spirit of something which is greater, itself will free the mind from that, uh, you know, narrow, restless uh, movement. So these are some of the ways. Yes. I don't know what Gandhi said. Of course, he seems to have said (laughs) that all religions are same. Uh, Certainly, one one has to be (laughs) blind to uh, facts of life to say all religions are same. Uh, I mean, one has to be a blind believer in Gandhi to believe that all religions are same. To start with, as a starter, uh, religions are coming from an experience which someone had which means they are a uh, more um, packaged version of the spiritual experience. Now, spiritual experience itself is not the same. There is the dualistic experience where the, there is always a separation between us and God, the dwaitavad. So, there is a whole kind of religion which says you can never become one with God. You can worship Him, you can pray to Him, He can help you after death, but you can never become one. So, this is one kind of religion. I am not going to name what is what. Then there is another religion which says actually this is nothing. There, there is another approach to God where we say all this can be annulled and it can be resolved into the one absolute. Monistic Advaita or the of Buddhist, the permanent call it whatever name, it doesn't matter. So there are religions which believe that all this is, uh, you know, a play of illusion and there is only one real permanent and it has its own w- w- validity. Then there is Vishisht Advaita then there is Tantra. Now, if we really look at uh, the world religions, they can fit into one of these categories which we find in Sanatan Dharma. So, ultimately, if you want to say that which is the original religion, but it is not a religion. It's a way of understanding life, perceiving life in all its complexities, many-sidedness and it's like, you know, a wonderful... Um, cathedral as Sri Aurobindo says, many sided with many mansions and opening onto the infinite, then it is Sanatan Dharma. By its name it means Sanatan, the universal, that which cannot perish. So, I mean, but again Sanatan Dharma can be reduced to a set of practices that if you do this Karwa Chod if you do this fasting. So, you know, so we must understand when religion is identified with outward practices, then it becomes not even religion but a belief system. Then when religion has its intrinsic side, where it's a way of connecting with God, that's where religion begins to differentiate itself. Now, there are religions which believe that, you know, God is an impersonality. So, how can that be the same as when somebody, uh, when a religion believes in God as a being? Or yet another, where it says that the impersonal and the personal are both, they fuse into one and go beyond. And, another where the whole thing is seen hierarchically stratified and there is the one absolute and then there is all these diverse aspects so to say that uh, you know that all religion have the same root is like saying well in a sense everything has the same root why only religion monkeys have the same roots as plants and yeast has the same root as eggs it's as vague a statement as that why then only keep to religion because everything has same root ekoham bahushyami But that leaves us nowhere. For practical purposes, we must understand that different religions have different uh, belief systems through which they operate. Now, when it becomes religion, when you have to operate within a belief system, the moment you come out of the belief system, you are out of that fold. Now, belief systems can help uh, streamline life in a certain way. But it kills seeking. What if I want to seek something greater than what my religion tells me? So, I have to step out of its boundaries. So, religions can be a big trap. They can completely stifle the spiritual urge. And that is why in today's time, because the age has come for spiritual evolution, we see that religions are crumbling and breaking. And this, by religion I am meaning not the core. Core is spiritual. Now, if we use that word, core is spiritual. But spiritual itself can be understood in countless ways. In a certain sense, we can say that everything is spiritual. So, uh, that is too vague. So, core of every religion starts with a kind of experience which the master had. Now, not every master had the same experience. Not everybody was standing at the same level of consciousness and experiencing even the same truth. I can see through a glass. I can see through a distorted mirror. I can see through a transparent Saint-Gobain glass. I can see through a veil. I can see through an uh, obscure curtain. So, different masters have seen the one through different veils. Uh, and therefore, they have described. But later on, as time passes by, we see that it tends to become crystallized into more fixed and formal practices. And then, on top of it, politics takes over. Now, there are religions which are which have become instruments only for expansion. Uh, you know, practices of expansion. So there is nothing religious about it. <laughs> as you know, to paraphrase, uh, of course, Christianity is a lot better than. You know, many others. But you know, as, uh, who was it, G.B. Shaw or Russell? He said there was only one Christian and he was crucified. So, you know, (laughs) one may say, (laughs) it's so true. Religions are made by picking up some of the sayings and turning them into dogmatic assertions for all to believe and follow. So, it actually is very stifling to the spiritual impulse. So, religion must go if spiritual impulsion has to come out. All religions, good or bad is not the issue. So, all religions may have the same origin and that origin is basically a kind of imprisonment of the human mind, whether in a religious system or an ideological system. But spiritual seeking is something which goes beyond all frames. So, if you want the frame, then yes. So, that's how (laughs) I would put it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes is the important thing and also he showed, actually it is not just about the unity of religion that he showed. He showed that depending on your faith and your aspiration, as you said, the motive, you will experience the divine in that way. So, you know, you you go with as, as people say that when he did Hanuman Sadhana, he even grew a little tail. So, the experiences that you will encounter will depend upon the faith with which you are starting. That's another way to understand Sri Ramakrishna's famous, you know, that thing about unity of religion. That's why the mother says aspiration is so important. What is the original aspiration with which we are approaching the divine? She uses the word, you know, faith is so important. Yes, yes. Thank you for, uh, you know, expanding it. It starts with love for humanity because, uh, you know, human beings are prone to a far greater suffering because of this uh, black box we carry or the grey box uh, that we carry over ourselves. But quite naturally, it extends. It can even start with love for animals. It's perfectly fine. But it is love within the orbit of creation. The fundamental difference is that we can love the Creator even though we have not seen Him. Or we can love his creation. Now, when we love the creation, which includes animals, plants, human beings and Mother Earth matter, then in a way we are loving the creator. So, the principle here is the same, that when we love the creation, then obviously the creator is happy that somebody is taking care of what I have created and, you know, um, feeling that kind of uh, bond with it. So, that is the principle. It does include animal, plants and everything one practice i won't use the word practice and very paradoxical read savitri every day <laughs> i am saying very paradoxical <laughs> i have seen that it actually takes up on the takes us on the journey of ascension and it brings out all these different aspects process, dimensions shows us what they are takes us upward and upward of course the simplest thing that he said was instead of The mind trying to put an effort because the mind doesn't even understand the vital and the mental. They are concepts for us. We can speak about subliminal mind, subliminal vital, and the subliminal, uh, you know, inner physical, all that is fine. But the way Shurabindo said was mother. So stay centered on the mother, everything else will follow automatically. But if one wants a practice, then the mother's consciousness and Shurabindo together in the form of the word body because it comes next the direct is mother directly but the next is the sound word body where the twin consciousness of mother and sharabindo come together is savitri why sharabindo because it's the he's the author why the mother because it's the story of the mother so savitri you know is one of our incarnations so savitri is just reading it every day it's it's actually a practice of yoga And unfortunately, it is not much emphasized, you know, because by practice we feel sitting and, you know, doing inside. But Mother has spoken about reading it, writing it, and it helps us in the whole ascension process. That's why Shurabindo, you know, he wrote it 12 times, ascending, and actually that thing is inbuilt within Savitri. It pulls us from one level to another, to another. So every time we read it, a new understanding comes, precisely because the mind is ascending. From layer to layer. So, one of the simplest ways is this. Yes, that will be fine. Yes, yes. Yes. So, by birth, man is bound to ignorance. To aspire, does he not need to be motivated? It's very beautifully answered in one of the, uh, you know, uh, Ramayana. And it puts it like this. So janahi jin ram janahi Of course there is the motivation comes from the grace One cannot aspire till As you had already said in the beginning very beautifully He who chooses the infinite Has been chosen by the infinite The first is there So why don't we aspire? Precisely because The time has not come and we are not ready So what should we do till then? We want to aspire, but we don't aspire. So, if we read the first two or the first movement in uh, this uh, chapter titled Self-Consecration, Sri then he says that how we can catch the fire of aspiration. It's not an external motivation. It's not like somebody tells me you aspire, it'll be very good. But it's a fire. If we are in the company of somebody who carries the fire, we will catch the flame. Now, if the log of wood is wet, as Sri Ramakrishna would say, it will throw up a lot of smoke, we'll feel stifled and we'll run away. But if it is wet, through seeking it becomes wet, through, you know, desire, self, by moderating it, it becomes uh, dry, sorry, dry, then it catches fire very fast. So, one, to be in the company of those who, and it's a very ancient way, seek the company of those who have found or who are on the path, journey, rather than keeping the company of those who will throw you know smoke. So the 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 it's very important to understand that the company we keep will either bring this fire out or it will you know cover it up. And this very important mother speaks about it, we often forget. So the company we keep. The second is through the books. The best simplest satsanga is this. And of course. Uh, when we read a book, at some point it will ignite the flame of aspiration. Because it's what? It is a um, capsule of light. It's a capsule of fire. So the mind reads a body of words and then it goes inside, then the body of words uh, the body is gone and it begins to act within us to ignite the fire. And third of course, the well-known practice is mantra. As when the mantra sings in yoga's ear. So even when it is done mechanically a time comes when suddenly, you know, it Catches fire. Then there is also places where when we go, we begin to open up to something greater and deeper. And sometimes, that's why coming to ashram, because it's a yagnavedi. So when we come and come near that, if we are ready, something will catch fire. But once it catches fire, then it's, you know, the journey continues. But that initiating point is through one of these processes. Webinar is one of the things. What is being done here is a yagna. Now, we use the word webinar, but it's a yajna. So, we are all bringing in that fire here. We are not discussing about, you know, film and politics and all that. We are discussing or sharing our um, vision and experience about something much deeper and higher. So, this is one of the means by which someone who is ready will catch the fire. So these are some of the ways, but it cannot be done by external motivation. It cannot be done in a mental way that, you know, we have a classroom and tell people, look, you know, uh, we must turn to the divine, we must pray. Then it will become something mechanical and we'll begin to make a religion out of it. Yeah. Thank you, thank you.